You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. You can go ahead and be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we're going to pick up at verse 22. We've been looking at this um, family series this year in 2012. In fact, it's good to see Josh and Betsy back there. Y'all have your latest edition? Is is he back there? Well, amen. This This is a special, special little fella, I can tell you that. Because there are, two, there are two in heaven, and we know those two in heaven provided the way for him to be here. So I, I told Josh, even this past week, I said, Josh, I, I am curious to see what God is going to do in the life of this little boy here. And Parker and Cooper as well. And we've got a, we've got a lot of expecting mothers, and uh, we, we're excited about these babies coming into the world. And seeing what God is going to do in their lives. And so this year, we, we've devoted this year, 2012, to the family, to looking at different aspects of the family. And last Sunday, I, I spoke on, on senior adults and what it means to be a senior adult and how you and I need to be careful and how we minister and how we see the senior adult coming and fitting into our life. And, and today, I kind of want to speak to the senior adults too, again, but I want to speak to all of you. Okay, and I need you to have your spiritual antennas up real high. Okay, I need you to buckle your pew belts. I need you to get your Bibles out, and I need your spiritual antennas real high today because we're looking at Luke chapter thirteen, beginning at verse twenty-two. Now, as you're turning there, Luke chapter thirteen, beginning at verse twenty-two, I want you to know something. I've seen a lot of people die. Okay, as a pastor in thirty-something years in the ministry. I've seen a lot of people die. I was a chaplain in the military. I've seen a lot of people die. And I want you to know something. It is exciting to see when a man or woman of God dies and you know they're going to be with the Lord. Especially if they're not doped up and they're not in some kind of induced coma. I mean, they have an opportunity to interact. It is exciting to see. Adrian Rogers said this. He said when Dr. R.G. Lee, the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, he said when Dr. Lee died, he said it was a defining moment in his life. A couple of years ago, I can't remember how long it was, Megan's grandfather, my my daughter-in-law, her grandfather went to be with the Lord, an unbelievable man of God, a great man of God. At Star Baptist Church, that place was packed. You couldn't get a chair in anywhere. It was down the aisles in the back. People were standing outside. There came a point when that old senior adult, that great man of God, when he died, when the one who was officiating asked how many people in this assembly, in this group, had been led to Christ personally by him. Hands began to, grow, to go up. Men and women all over, young people all over the, all over the auditorium. How many of you have been counseling? Again, hands went up. How many of you were married by this man? People began to stand up. And over and over again, that man's life had influenced the lives of nearly every single person who was in assembly that day. Ledge, my son, walked out of there, looked at me and said, Dad, that is the finest funeral that I've ever attended, and it is a moment that has changed my life forever. 
Now I want to ask you a question today. When you die, what will they say about you? What impact, what influence as your life, what will it have had into the lives of other people? What will it have done in the kingdom of God? And that's what we're talking about today. So in Luke chapter 13, now who, who wrote this book? Well, ultimately God did, but who did God use to write it? Dr. Luke, man by the name of Luke, a traveling partner of who? The Apostle Paul, that's right. Thank you, Jason. Jason's back there. You see, Jason is back there leading these children. He's back there telling these children, listen, when you know the answer, shout it out. Say it. But anyway, Luke, this traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a friend of his, a man by the name of Theophilus. And Theophilus is a new believer. He's a new convert to Christ. He's a follower of Jesus. And so Luke has done all of his research. In fact, we believe, and you heard me say this for a year, that Paul could have been in prison. While Paul was in prison, Luke was compiling under the leadership of the Holy Spirit this gospel we call Luke because he's going to send it to Theophilus. Now, he tells this incident in the life of Jesus, picking up at verse 22. He said, Then Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. My friend, that's you and I. Everywhere we go. I went on a journey of 5,200 miles all along the way, just scattering the seed of the gospel in hotels, in parking garages, in restaurants. Everywhere I went, just scattering, throwing the seed everywhere. Jesus, when he tells the parable of the sower and the soils, he says, listen, you and I are just seed bearers. We just, look, we're not here to analyze the soil. We're not here to study the soil. He just said, listen, you just throw it everywhere. Some of it falls on a rocky, beat-down path. That's all right. You just throw it. Well, birds are going to pluck it. That's all right. Just throw it over there anywhere. Just throw it everywhere. Jesus was teaching everywhere. Now, in verse 31, in verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Let me say that. That's the equivalent of one of my kids coming up to me and saying, am I your favorite? When you and I get called up in that, that's the equivalent of us looking at God and saying, God, do you have favorites? And so this man is curious and he asked Jesus, he said, someone asked, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, now I want you to underline in the NIV those next three words. If you have the King James, it'll say strive, I believe. He said to them, make every effort to enter the narrow gate, the narrow door, because many, I tell you, would try to enter and will not be able to do so. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you and from where you come. Then you will say, We ate, we drank with you, we, you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you, where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. People will come from the east and the west, north and the south. They'll take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, those who are first who will be last. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, would speak in us and through us. 
Dear Lord, I know there are children in this room today. I pray, dear Lord, that they'd be attentive. I pray that moms and dads, dear Lord, would understand that a great deal of preparation has gone into this. That, dear Lord, there are people that need to hear. I pray that our children's ministry would be very effective in keeping these children, dear Lord, attentive. Lord, it may be old-fashioned, but I grew up in a day when children were told to sit up, listen. But Lord, that's not just for children, that's every adult in this room. If we're not careful, dear Lord, we can tune out our hearts, we can turn off to the things of God. We can be thinking about what we're going to eat, thinking about the rest of the day, and miss the blessing that you're wanting to give us through your word. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that their hearts are open. I believe there's something that will be said today that will change their life forever. You have brought them here by divine appointment to teach them. I pray, dear Lord, that I would be a messenger fit to be used. Cleanse me, forgive me. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a real simple sermon. It's only two points. I think, can you handle that, two points? Okay, you can handle that. Thank you, Jason. Jason can handle that. The first point is this. The first point is a question. I remember when I lived in Zimbabwe, the first thing I wanted to know was, how do you ask that? I have a question. I would go around and I'd say, Dine Mubunzo Hede. I have a question. Most of the time it was, Chichi, what is this? Chichi, what is that? Jesus is always being confronted with questions. And so in verse 23, we have, a, we have an individual who comes forward. Now the Bible says, Luke tells us that he was teaching. He was going through, he was just teaching everywhere. Sowing the seed of the gospel, the good news everywhere. And in verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, as best we can understand, this was not one of the disciples... This perhaps may have been a student of the Pharisees. It may have been somebody who had been sent by the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, to try to stump Jesus or to perplex him a little bit or to bring about a measure of controversy. Now, I want you to take a right from Luke, and real quickly, I want you to see this. In fact, I want you to hold your finger there. Go over to 1 Timothy. Go over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is right before 2 Timothy. I said that for Matt. You'll see Matt, I see him. You, you, that helped, didn't it, Matt? It did. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, watch this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. I want you to see this. Now, this is Paul's spiritual mentoring. This is his young, uh, this, is, this, is the, uh, this is the closest that Paul came to a son. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, watch what Paul says. He says in verse 3, he says, I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to miss endless genealogies. Now watch what he says here. This is critical. These promote what? What? If you've got the NIV, it says these promote controversy rather than what? God's work, which is by faith. You see, in verse 23, we have a man that comes and he says, Lord, how many people are going to be saved? Lord, it looks like only a few are going to be saved. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus would ignore a question? And I believe that this man simply came to perplex Jesus, to involve him in some kind of controversy because this was so often. And Paul was telling Timothy, he says, Timothy, listen, be very careful because people will endlessly get you into these 
theological gray areas where you'll spend all of your time where God's Word is not clear. Now the reason that I'm saying that is because we are a part of the largest evangelical denomination in the world. And yet we are floundering right now again in what I consider to be a doctrinal gray area. It is unresolved in Scripture. Now you may say, well, I don't believe that. Well, my friend, ever since Augustine, 350 years after the establishment of the church came on the scene, for 1,800 years we've been arguing about a theological position that we can't settle yet. I believe that's pretty good proof that the Scripture is unclear. Southern Baptists today may be decreasing because we're getting caught up in gray areas. And there is danger in that. And Paul was saying, listen, Timothy, you stay away from that. It promotes controversy rather than God's work. You see, God tells you, and I says, listen, you don't worry about that. You just go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's your responsibility, and that's my responsibility. I thought to myself, I was glad I wasn't at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans because as your pastor, I'm too sick to put up with that kind of stress. If we're going to sit there and dilly-dally over the, over the uh, sinner's prayer, then we have a problem in our denomination. You see, there are gray areas. There are those areas in the Scripture that are unresolved, unclear, unsettled, and we have, Southern Baptists have left them unsettled for our entire, our entire existence. And my friend, you and I need to be very, very careful. And this man in verse 23, he says, Lord, he says, listen, are only a few going to be saved? Wow. You see, that was a prevalent question in Jesus' day. Pharisees and Sanhedrin were battling over that. In fact, they often used the idea of two spies. You remember the 12 spies that went in and only two ultimately went into the promised land. That's where this man is coming from because historically that's the way the Jews thought. He said, look, there's only going to be a few saved because only two of the spies out of the 12 went into the promised land. Ten did not. Let me remind you, ten did not because they did not believe. That's why they didn't. You see, this man wanted Jesus' opinion. He, he, this was idle curiosity. One commentator said this, the answer would have done little good. My friend, there are some theological issues that if we could settle them, would do nothing in the way of helping us achieve the Great Commission. It wouldn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. It makes no difference whatsoever to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission. So this writer said the answer would have done little good for this man. It was far more important that this man, verse 23, secure his own salvation and that of his family and his friends and those people around him than to indulge in such idle inquiries and vain speculation. If you and I are not careful, and our denomination, Southern Baptists are not careful, we will get called up, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.4, in controversy that doesn't lead to any good, and it will keep us from the good work, which is by faith. You see, that's it. We have people today that have invaded Southern Baptist Convention. 
And the truth of the matter is, is they're trying to solve things that are not solved in Scripture. I heard a seminary professor make this statement. He says this controversy that we are in the midst of, he said, is unsolved from Genesis to Revelation. He said all the way through the Scripture there's tension there. We can't solve it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. And for that, you ought to be ashamed. You're, you're a part of the greatest, what I believe is the greatest evangelical denomination in the world and yet you may not even know about the controversy whatsoever. How dare you? Our Southern Baptist Convention today is being invaded by those who want to fix the church. Can I remind you of something? When Jesus told the parable, the soul, when he told the parable of the wheat and tares, do you remember what he said? Some said, well, wait a minute, Lord, you want us to go out and we'll find the tare and we'll get them up? Jesus said, whoa, whoa, don't do that. Because if you do that, you're going to mess up wheat. You just let both of them grow up, come to full maturity, and when I get hold of the harvest, I'll take care of that. You don't do that. You stay out of the way. You see, and I believe this was the heart of this man. So here you have the question. Number two, we have the answer. Now watch Jesus. This man says, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus said to them, make every effort. He uses a word here, strive. You may have strive, but the word could be translated agonize. In fact, in the Greek here, it's agonisomai. Agonisomai. To aisercomai. Uh, agonisomai, strive. To enter. Do you hear it here? So his answer here to this man is, he's saying, sir, you strive. Agonisomai. I say, Erkomai, you strive to enter. Now that's a strong statement. That, that word strive could be defined this way. Listen to it. To put forth all, listen to this, to put forth all your energy, your power, your passion to obtain the prize. That's a far cry from what we see today's churches. The reason we have babies in this room is to remind us of what some of us are in the body of believers. A baby's something. The reality is, is a baby is a reminder to each one of us that if we are not careful what Paul said to the church at Corinth, we can remain babes. You know what babies do? When they get hungry, what do they do? They cry. When they get dirty and they need to be changed, what do they do? They cry. When they get colicky and they don't feel good, what do they do? They cry. What do they do? They cry a lot. And if you got colic in your in your in your in, in, in your baby's gut, you really got a problem. You see, sometimes you and I will never spiritually mature. We never allow sanctification, hagiosmos, this process by which God is making us holy, and we remain babies throughout our life, always whining and crying and carrying on because our world centers around who? Around me. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross. And follow me. So Jesus looks at this man. He says, Agonisomai, you need to strive. You need to put forth energy and power and passion to obtain the prize, which is eternal life, which is a spirit-filled life. Paul uses this wording in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, let's look at it. Take a right. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because I love this. Listen to Paul's language here. 
He uses that same word here, that same idea. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, Paul equates it to a race. Have you ever seen, we're going, we're, right now the Olympic trials have been going on. Isn't, I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by it. Especially, you look at the, the hurdles, they run, when they're running these hurdles, and we've got a young man, I think he's a Jackson, is he a Jackson State graduate? Isn't he? Right? We've got a young man that, I, doesn't he run the hurdles? Okay, we've got a young man from here who's running the hurdles, who's on his way to London. And I'm going to tell you this, in the tryouts, he wasn't, they weren't looking at him. But my friend, he was running a close third. He was right behind the two leaders. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if something's done great. And I'm going to tell you something else. If I remember, I believe he's a Christian. But it's unbelievable to watch these, these individuals, men and women, who you'll see them. Listen, they come close to the line, and there's only maybe two that'll go, three that'll go, and you'll see this person, they will simply do this. They will throw themselves. They'll just lunge with everything in them, trying to, bake, to, to break that, that line there in an effort to win. Some of them will sprawl and tumble, skim up, broken up, bruised up. This is what Jesus was saying. He's saying to this man, Agonisomai, strive, put all of your energy, your power, your passion to obtain the prize. Paul says it here. He says, though, he says in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Wow. He uses again in Philippians. In fact, we'll just take, take a right and go to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. I think he does it again in Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 16. Listen to what he says here. Oh, my. No, wait a minute. No, Philippians 2, 14. Let's don't do that. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without a fault or in the crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in, in, in the universe. What Paul is saying over and over again, he uses this idea of agonisomai, of striving, of putting away everything, everything that would hinder us. And he uses it in such a way that he says this is for a lifetime. Now senior adults, this is the danger. The danger is in our lives as we get older, and I'm 56, be 57 my birthday, if God wills, I can become, I can reach a point in my life, and there's a tendency with age to where we become cantankerous. We begin to complain a lot. We become irritable. We become easily annoyed. Let me ask you something, senior adult. Who said that you have a right to, to give your opinion? And young people, while you're laughing, who gave you that right? You see, we don't need people's opinions. We need people that say, you know, I've been in prayer, I've been in the Word of God, and let me tell you what I believe God's will is for my life and the life of this church. Man, that's how you get some attention. But you see, what can happen, especially as we get older, we don't ag agonisomai, we don't do it for a lifetime. We begin to soften, we begin to get, we begin to become undisciplined. We get cantankerous, we complain, we get irritable, we're easily annoyed, and we voice our opinions, and before long we quit the fight. 
What did Paul say when he came to the end of his life? He said, I have fought a good what? I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. How many senior adults and how many of you young people are living the kind of life that when they bury you, that people will be packing into a room to say the impact and the influence of your life into their life and the difference that it made? Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he said, I agoniso my, my whole life. David Jeremiah preached a sermon on Gideon. And his point was about Gideon. He said, you can go back and read the Old Testament character later in Judges. But he said, how could a man start so well and end so poorly? How can a man start so well and end so poorly? You know what happens a lot of times as we get older? We soften towards sin. We soften towards sin. We begin to think you can't beat them, join them. A lot of times as senior adults, we give up on evangelism. Or we think, well, that's just the way the world is. You can't change it. How many old pastors would look at me when I was a young man, full of passion and vigor, and say to me, you know how many old Christians looked at me and said, son, you better learn now, you can't change the world. Well, Paul did. D.L. Moody did. Billy Graham did. Mother Teresa did. Martin Luther King Jr. did. Who says I can't? Some dead, dry, has given up on the fight. They don't agony niso my no more. Paul said, I came to, he came to the end. Roman soldiers would come in any moment and say, Paul, it's time to go. They would pick when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, where he's telling Timothy, Timothy, bring my coat, coat bring the parchments. Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I finished, I finished the course. I kept the faith. Paul said to Timothy, he said, at any moment they're going to come get me. And they did. A Roman soldier came in one day and said, Paul, let's go. Paul began to make his way around that, beside that Roman soldier who was carrying him out to a block of wood to where a Roman soldier would stand over me and draw his sword. And I believe as Paul was making his way, he was saying, must Jesus bear the cross alone? All the world go free. Now there's a cross for everyone. There's a cross for me. I believe Paul began to think of those words where Jesus said, I'm, I'm with you always, even to the end, Paul. Jesus and Paul were making their way. That Roman soldier said, Paul, it's time. Paul got down on his knees. Paul knew where to lay his head. He laid his head across that block. That Roman soldier looked at Paul one last time. He took that sword, he drew it from the saber and he came down he cut Paul's head off and Paul's head rolled off. Let me, let me tell you this, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Immediately, all of heaven came into a chorus of rejoicing. Jeffrey, that sounds 10,000 louder times the volume of us. And all of a sudden, Jesus was standing there greeting the apostle Paul. Paul, come here, son. Come here. And old Paul with his head firmly on his shoulders. And old John the Baptist coming and running, who also lost his head. Oh, Paul. Paul, it's good to have you here. Moses and, and, uh, Moses and Elijah, Elisha, all of the, the patriarchs of the old Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all begin together and flood toward the gates of heaven. Paul, Paul, come here. Oh. And Jesus said, well done. your whole life. 
some of us, our marriage to Jesus is about like every marriage we've been in. We don't put nothing into it, and before long the passion burns away and it's cold and dry and lifeless. Paul said, agonisomai. Jesus said, agonisomai. Make every effort. He uses the word there out of the verb agon. It's a verb of action. It means to fight, to contend, to struggle with difficulties and dangers, to endeavor with strenuous zeal to obtain something. Make every effort. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. Undeserved, unmerited, free, available to all. I thought we were saved by grace, Jesus. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean, Jesus, you're saying make every effort? I'm going to give you something that I believe you'll never forget. Are you ready? Get your spiritual antennas up. Pew belts are on. Let's say, Anthony, raise your hand. Anthony, raise your hand. Where's Alan? Alan, raise your hand. Alan's back there. These two men work with Healing Touch Ministries. Okay? Amanda and Stacy are, are, are helping to officiate and oversee the house here for our sweet ladies that God is bringing to us. But I want you to think about this. Jesus tells this man, this man says, only, Lord, only a few are going to be saved. Jesus doesn't even answer his question. You know what he would say? That's none of your business. That's God's. You don't worry about it. You see, that's the answer to Calvinism and Arminianism. It's none of our business. There's healthy tension from Genesis to Revelation. It's never settled. I mean, all the way through it. You've got the language of both permeating all the way through the Scripture. But I want to give you something I think will help you because this man says, Lord, are there only a few going to be saved? And Jesus looks at him. He doesn't answer his question. He says, make every effort. You, sir, you. It's implied here. You make every effort. Agonisomai. Isericomai. You make every effort to enter. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. Unmerited, undeserved, free. That's right. But I want you to listen closely to what I believe Jesus was saying. Uh, Alan and, and, uh, and Anthony are over Healing Touch Ministries. On Saturday night, they have a service. Now, let's say at the end here, let's say at the end, Alan and, and Anthony slipped out, came back in with boxes, and set them down here on the front. And they came to me and said, Brother Jeff, we'd like to make an announcement. We have brand new leather-bound study Bibles, and we have enough for every person in this room. These are, these are really nice. They're genuine leather-bound study Bibles. I mean, they're just absolutely beautiful. They're gorgeous. And we want to make them available to anybody in this room. All they got to do is just come and get one. Let me ask you this. How many people do you think would come? I believe everybody. I, I, believe, I, I would go. I mean, I got a Bible, but I would go. I think, well, I can give it to somebody else, or I'll give them my old Bible, and I'll give you, I'll get me a new one, you know. Mostly it was just a beautiful Bible. And I, I just think, man, you know, this is just unbelievable. Okay? Now, every, I believe every person would come. Now, stay with me, and we'll close in a moment. I believe every person in the room would come down and get a Bible out of the box, out of these boxes. Now, did you do anything to earn it? No, it was free. You just simply came down and received it, right? It was a gift. Okay? Now, let me tell you what would happen. Because there's no cost, no investment, because you didn't do anything. You really didn't care one way or the other. You weren't even expecting to get a Bible. You just came down and got one. It didn't really matter to you. 
In a couple of weeks, let me tell you where some of those Bibles would be. Because see, I walk in the parking lot. So shame on you if your Bible's drying out in the back dash. Okay? But anyway, uh, I'll walk out there in a couple of weeks and that brand new leather-bound Bible, genuine leather-bound study Bible, is thrown in the back dash and is curling up. Pages are curling up, covers curling up. It's just, it's, it's just a mess. Pages all getting, you know. And you're sitting there and, 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 and you see, the reason being was it was free, but it didn't cost you nothing. Now, let me tell you why I believe Jesus uses the word agonisomai. I say erkomai. Because I believe that what Jesus was saying, let me take, let's redo this illustration. Let's say Alan and Anthony come up at the end of the service. Anthony says, I'd like to have everybody's attention. We've got, in fact, we're going to put it up on a PowerPoint. We've got beautiful leather-bound Schofield study Bibles. They're absolute, genuine leather, gorgeous Thumb index, study aids, these Bible. This is the latest Bible Schofield's put out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. We've got different translations. We'll, if you want a particular translation, we'll have those. Now, this is what I need you to do. How many of you would like a Bible? Again, every hand goes up. Say, well, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do, okay? Saturday, we meet at what time? What time does Saturday service meet? Here's last night. 6 o'clock, okay. Saturday at 6 o'clock in Brandon at the Healing Touch Ministry joint worship service that they have how often? Twice a month. They have twice a month at the Healing Touch Ministries headquarters. We're going to have those Bibles and we're going to make them available to you. Now let me ask you something. How many people do you think would be there at 6 o'clock? And this is what he said. Now, if you'll come be there at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a worship service, which we do twice a month, great worship. Then we're going to have a time of speaking, teaching, preaching. And then afterwards, we're going to give these Bibles, and it'll probably be, be prepared to stay about an hour and a half. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you would go then? Don't raise your hands, because I can tell you the answer. The Bibles are still free. You just have to make an effort to get to them. Now let me tell you about the person who goes. The person who sits here and says, man, I'd love to get that new Bible. Boy, that sounds really something. Man, I'd love to have that new study at Schofield, latest edition, the study aids, the archaeological information, the maps at the end of thumb index, gold letter, man, wow. Boy, oh man, I'd You think it'll be on their back dash two weeks later, wrinkling up and drying up in the back dash? No. This is what Jesus meant. Let me give you a quote, Brother Jeff. Something can be free and still cost us something to attain it. Both Bibles are free. One just, one just will cost you a little bit to get to it. Does that make sense? You see, that's what Jesus was saying. You see, some of you here, and maybe there's some in this room, you don't have no passion, you don't have no... We're well, free, I go get it. Yeah, look, we get people all the time come down. Yeah, yeah, preacher. <laughs> I want to ask Jesus, come up, come up, come up in my heart. And go back and live, sleep around, do whatever you want. Drugs, dope, alcohol, you know, going out, robbing, doing whatever you want. Nothing's changed in your life. Hey, you know what you are? 
You're the person that took the grace of God and threw it in the back dash. And you know where you're going? You're going straight to hell. But for those people who agonize, those people who passion and zeal and urgency drives them, listen, they not only receive the gift, they cherish it. They hold on to it. And the danger, senior adult, and the danger of Christians who have been Christians for years is that we stop agonisomai. And we lose something in the process. It's interesting, the word narrow, the word straight, stenos, to groan, stenography, narrow writing, narrow is the gate. Few there be that find it. Jesus said, sir, you don't worry about that. You make every effort to get there yourself. Let me give you a quote and I'll close. Dr. Thomas, who wrote a book called The Land and the, and the Book, made this statement. He said, I've seen these straight gates and narrow ways with here and there a traveler. He said, they are in retired corners and must be sought for and are open only to those who knock. And when the sun goes down and the night comes on, they are shut, they are locked, and it is then too late. Now let me read to you again. The man said, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Now look at verse 25 because he gives the reason. Once the owner, once the owner of the house gets up, closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door, and he'll answer, I don't know you and where you come from. And you'll say, we ate, drank with you. In other words, we fellowship with you, Lord. We read our Bibles, went to church. Lord, we did this. We did it kind of, we, we didn't do it with passion and urgency. We didn't agonize. We just kind of, you know, no, Jesus said. Then you will say, we ate, drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you and where you come from. Senior adult, what kind of senior adult do you want to be? You want to be an Apostle Paul. You want to agonisomai all the way through your life, right up to the last breath. Right up to the last breath. So that when you, when you die, when you take that last breath, when that final moment, the next breath will be the breath of fresh air coming from heaven itself. And the words of Jesus saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to ask you again before we pray. What are they going to say when you die? Your old drinking buddy is going to puff a few cigarettes. I can tell you what funeral home. I can tell you down there. Let me tell you what it's like. Pull up there. You can tell what kind of person's in a coffin. Yeah, he was something, wasn't he? Where you want to go after we get through? You're going to drink a few beers, hit a few bars. When you're in a coffin one day, we'll... People pack in there and say, what a great man or woman of God. Hey, young people, you may beat some of the senior adults getting there. What kind of life are you living? What kind of difference are you making? Are you ready? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand. With heads bowed and with eyes closed and nobody looking around. 
Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now and we pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to be upon us. We ask you, dear Lord, to forgive us because, dear Lord, there are some in this room. They have taken the grace of God and like a free gift, they just threw it on the back dash of their life. They didn't incorporate it into their life, the principles, the spiritual principles. Lord, they didn't do anything with it. They just threw it off to the side. And Lord, I don't believe they ever consumed it to begin with. But Lord, there are others in this room that, dear Lord, they agonisomai. They, they, they are striving. But Lord, they're growing tired. Lord, the world is beating against them, dear Lord. And troubles and tribulations are coming. And Lord, there's part of them, dear Lord, there's that feeling of, well, maybe I ought to just give up. I'm tired. And Lord, your word is today that we need to make every effort until we die to live a life that will bring you glory and honor. So Lord, I pray right now for any man, woman, boy, or girl in this room. Lord, I know that I preach straightforward, honest, to the point. Lord, I don't mince words. Lord, I talk about heaven. Lord, I talk about hell. Both of them are real places. And one second after death, when we take our last breath and we're on the other side of eternity, the only thing that will matter is what we did with Jesus. And it's not a matter of just simply coming down and praying a prayer and never living a life that makes no difference whatsoever. It's a matter of inviting the... It's a matter of inviting God in the flesh. It's a matter of inviting the power of His Holy Spirit to come into my life, take control of every part of my life so that I begin to love, I begin to look, I begin to live, I begin to sound, I begin to act like Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. And so, Lord, I pray today if there's a man or woman, a boy or girl, who doesn't know today if they're a Christian, who doesn't know if they died, where they'd spend eternity, if there's a senior adult, dear Lord, who may be close to the end, and they look at their life and they think, God, I'm not, I'm not agonisomai. I am not striving. God, I have softened to sin. I've allowed things to come into my life. God, I'm living a life with no passion, no urgency. I don't evangelize no more. My kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will gather around my table and I'll never mention at all Jesus. I've got grandchildren that will die and spend eternity in hell if I don't intervene in their life. Lord, there are senior adults in this room that the fire of evangelism needs to burn in their hearts again. There are senior adults in this room, dear Lord, that have softened and they've grown cold and God, you want to stir up those fires so that those old feeble hands that have grown tired will lift up toward the heavens. Oh, to see a senior adult with a hand upraised toward the heaven. The Bible says lift up holy hands. Oh God, help us to agonisomai. Help us to strive with passion to live a life that one day, as Megan's grandfather, who now looks over the banisters of heaven and looks at the next generation, as the writer of Hebrews said, as they root us on, may dear Lord those people one day gather. And may they say that that was a great man, a great woman of God who influenced my life and made a difference. God, speak to us. And whatever decision you're calling us to make today, as our counselors begin even now to come forward and make their way here, that, dear Lord, we can take their hand, pray with me, help me to understand whatever it may be. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.